Thank you for tuning in to episode 24 of Gumbo Nights. I'm your host, Miss Tamala Handy. Today we have a special guest. His name is Marvin Lyman. If you don't know who he is, Marvin is a native of Kansas City, Missouri. He is a former restaurateur. He is a community activist. He is a published author, the author of a book called Solving for X, Finding the Man Within. He has a remarkable story, and I figured that we could have him share it with you right here on the podcast. What is unusual, though, as you will find out, his story is amazing, but it has a unique twist to it. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to Marvin Lyman so he can tell you all about his story. How are you doing, Miss Handy? I'm just fine. How are you, Marvin? Good. Well, thank you for having me on your show. It's a pleasure to be on Gumbo Nights. Well, you know, in 2013, I got a very, very, very big surprise. Uh, It was definitely something that I could not have planned for at the ripe age of 36 years old. uh, It really changed my life remarkably. You know, a lot of us um, grow up and we think we know our family history and we think we uh, fit in. Uh, And sometimes uh, you can grow up and feel a sense of um, being different where you don't exactly fit in. And so at 36 years of age, I got a amazing revelation and it was so interesting. So to say to make the story, uh, I guess, uh, to get to the point is that at the age of 36, I found out that my biological father was not, in fact, the man that had raised me. So imagine a young man uh, who had grown up and from the age of six who had worked in a restaurant uh, named after his father, essentially had been raised in the restaurant uh, and even being called the little version of who I thought was my biological father, that being Papa Lou Lewis Lyman Sr. And of course, grown, grown very uh, akin to the family, uh, to the Lyman family and everyone that I knew to be my blood family or what have you. And then, you know, years later to find out that everything I had known, although my family was still my family, but my family expanded and changed. And to to find this out as an adult man, uh, particularly as an adult black man who prided himself in uh, his relationship with his father, you know, I was one of few kids uh, at the age of uh, 12 years old uh, in grade school that was excited about having my father at home, uh, having being able to see my father work and provide an example for me. Uh, my father and I, although he was very sickly, my father and I, was uh, we were very close. He was, in fact, my very, very best friend. And so when this information came about, it really just uh, rocked my entire existence to the core. So I just have a real quick question for you. At what age were you when, because your father passed away, how old were you when he passed away? I was 15 years old when my father passed away. It was literally a month and two days before my 16th birthday. I remember it like it was yesterday, although it's been a couple decades uh, ago. Uh, But I remember it vividly. 
I remember exactly where I was. I was uh, actually uh, on the uh, fourth floor of Lincoln uh, High School in the Pods area, and I got called down to the principal's office. Went down to the principal's office, to the vice principal's office, that is, and Mr. Hill uh, uh, passed me the telephone, and my brother Mark uh, delivered the news, and all I can tell you is that I let out a cry that I've never let out again in my life because that really just broke my heart uh, thinking about the passing of my father and the fact that I wasn't there. It marked me so much that it's only been in recent years that I celebrate Valentine's Day because of the date of my father's death. And that's the day that he passed away? Uh, he, he died the day before, February 13th, wow. 1992. Wow. So yeah. imagine that, y'all. Someone that you you grew up with. This is your father and a man that you love so much. Talk about your relationship that you had with your dad, though, because it, it was very special. Oh, man. it. You know, I recently uh, got a pickup truck, and it's a Chevrolet, and I it made me think, when I got the truck, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, it made me think about my dad and all the times that uh, I saw my dad changing the oil on the truck, uh, changing the tires in our front yard with the old-fashioned jack that you had to be careful of because it might slip from under the car. Mm-hmm. Kids today don't know nothing about that. <laughs> uh, I thought about the many times that uh, he would allow us to ride on the back of the pickup truck, um, going to the grocery store, going to the park, or him taking us to the park and being able to put our bicycles on the back of the truck. Uh, all those uh, many experiences. My dad, you know, he was a uh, he was a workaholic, and, and I'm very much like him in that respect. But uh, he was a loving man. He was an honorable man. He wasn't perfect, uh, but I knew where my father stood. I knew what he expected. And I really admired him uh, for who he was and even who he is to this day in my life. And so in what ways did having grown up, grown up with Lewis Lyman, did he shape you into the man that you are today? What what types of things did you carry? (laughs) Well, uh, for those who know me, they know I love to cook. Uh, My father, he was a chef, uh, really self-taught chef. Uh, I can remember as a kid, I would always go in the kitchen whenever he was cooking. And uh, it could be, you know, one o'clock in the morning and I would smell him, smell the cooking going on in in the kitchen. I would wake up, go in and I would sit on a a bar stool that we had there in our little tiny kitchen there. And um, I would watch him cook and watch him taste things and taste seasonings. And he let me taste seasonings, taste the sauces. and, And then I just picked up, so I picked up a natural understanding of how seasonings come together, what makes sense, what taste makes sense. And uh, of course, worked in our restaurant for 31 years, ended up owning our restaurant and managing our restaurant uh, after after quite some time. Uh, in addition to that, uh, my father was a church going man. He was a deacon in our church and leader in our church. Uh, you know, I, when I grew up, we had not only, we couldn't only just cut our grass, but we had to cut the neighbor's grass, at least their front yards on either side of us. And then the church was two doors down. So we had to cut the church's grass. Mm. And uh, needless to say, we didn't get, we didn't get paid for cutting any of those yards. <laughs> we did it because it was the right thing to do. So those were the kind of lessons that my father instilled in me that you did what was right because it's right. I saw my father go out and help people many a times. Um, where and he never expected anything in return. They didn't have to be family, they didn't have to be friends. It was just that he saw people in need and he would 
try his best to meet that need and make some kind of an impact on that person's life and help them to do better. Uh, you know, he was raised uh, in the boot hills of Missouri. And so quite naturally, when he came to the Kansas City area, uh, he had nothing with his family. Mm-hmm. And, but it was only because the grace of God that he was allowed to have help. And so he never forgot from whence he came. Well, I appreciate you sharing information about your dad because unfortunately I didn't get to know him but I did get an opportunity to go to your restaurant that you own Papa Lou's and get to taste the amazing food that you have um, or had there you and your mom because you worked in the restaurant with your mom too all those years Um, but I want to take a pause right here and have you come back and share with us the rest of your journey because you said as as you mentioned at 36 your life changed and you discovered something different about yourself, something unique that I believe no one else probably across this earth has ever experienced. (laughs) So we're going to take a pause there and we will come back and make sure you join us for the second half of this interview. for joining us for part two of the interview with Mr. Marvin Lyman. When we left off, Marvin had just shared with us some information about his dad and the wonderful relationship that he had with him and all of the great things that he acquired, the great characteristics of his dad. But now I want Marvin to share with us the moment and the experiences that led up to him finding out He wasn't who he really thought he was at the age of 36. Well, you know, it's really an interesting story. And it's almost like stepping into a movie, really. And so I was working at the time. I was working for Mayor Sly James as his treasurer, uh, as a treasurer for his campaign. And, you know, like any other volunteer, what have you, you know, you just want to do your best. I was excited that... He was uh, campaigning for office and excited that uh, uh, he had a great chance of winning and could really spark some great change in Kansas City. And then in the process of doing that, I met an employee that worked for him. And in meeting that employee, you know, it was just there was nothing really spectacular other than uh, we just happened to be both work for the mayor. Uh, she actually worked in his office. And we just happened to be two black people, uh, to the the only two black people at the, at the mayor's first event, and so here we are there, and at like you know just naturally, you know they asked the question, why do all the black folks sit together at the lunch table, right? <laughs> so here we are <laughs> at the lunch table, in essence, or whatnot, or at this particular event, and so we we get to talking, and we have the same interest uh, because of the mayor. And so we fight, we have that in common and we have the fact that we have this common cultural experience. And so the more we're talking and sharing and what, what have you, she's doing her job, I'm doing my job. You know, I'm smoozing people trying to make sure they give more donations or what have you. She's actually working in the function of the mayor, mayor's office at this time because he had won the election. And so in the process of time, what it ended up finding out is I would go back and forth to the office and... Um, uh, found out that I, she would often make comments that, man, you remind me of my dad. 
And it was just so, it was, you know, it was just regular conversation. Okay, I remind you of your dad. Okay, okay, great. You know, hopefully your dad's a great man, you know, because <laughs> I think I'm a pretty good guy. And so uh, the more and more I went to the office, uh, the more she would say that. And then I can remember one day uh, having uh, have had a very hearty laugh. Whenever I have a real hearty laugh, you know, I kind of rear back and then I clap my hands together. And in doing that, she was like, oh, my God you sure you're not my brother? And so uh, when she said that, I thought nothing about it, but, you know, we kind of laughed or whatever. But later on, it began to uh, enter my mind that, man, that, that was pretty, that was pretty funny. That was pretty interesting. But then it wasn't until that uh, this employee at the mayor's office, all of a sudden, she, uh, she calls me one day and says, man, why didn't you tell me that you know my dad? I'm like, what? No, your dad. I don't know your dad. She says, yeah, Mr. Handy. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, your last name is Handy. She's like, yeah, duh. I'm like, oh, that's your dad. Like, yeah, your dad was my seventh grade math teacher. And so that's how the discovery began to unwind more. Handy, so that's interesting. That person has the same last name that I have. Well, okay. Well, moving on. What was the exact moment, though, when you found out that the man that raised you, Louis Lyman, was not actually your biological father? And what was your reaction to that? Wow. So I did a identogene. DNA test. I bought that test kit and uh, had my presumed biological father swab and I swabbed and we sent off the results and uh, the results came back via uh, email. And I can remember checking my email over and over again, uh, you know, wanting to see if these results were in fact true. And when the results came back and it was true, I can remember literally just running out of the house, jumping in my car, driving to Forest Hill Cemetery and going to my father's grave. Because it was at that moment that the the overarching question for me was if my father knew that I was not his biological son, would he still love me? And that question went on to plague me for a good two years. I mean, it was a it was a harsh question because here was the man whom I'd grown up with, loved, and now to find out that this man was in fact not my biological father, and it was indeed someone else. And not only that, there was a, there was anger because I had known my biological father. Uh, um, not as my biological father, but I had known him and seen him and spent time with him and he never said a thing. My mother never said a thing. So there were so many emotions going on and I was literally just an emotional wreck. I mean, I don't know how I didn't crash my vehicle uh, driving to the cemetery. I can remember speeding, um, down the highway and down Gregory Boulevard erratically um, trying to get to the cemetery because I felt like I had to talk to my dad. I I just needed that connection. And there was nobody on earth 
that could give me that connection to my dad. But I had to go there. And I'm not one that's big on going to cemeteries. But in that particular instance, I just had to go because I needed, you know, I wanted my dad to reach up, grab me, hug me and say, son, I love you. Just as if I was 15 years old again. And so you've written a book about this whole entire experience. And I had to imagine that that was a really tough thing to be able to put all of that together because you went way back. You went all the way back to your childhood, all the way up to beyond the time when you found out who your biological father really is. Talk about the healing process. And I don't know if maybe you're not fully healed from it. Maybe it's, it's an ongoing process. But what did you do? to try to heal from all of that, that huge discovery. Cause that, that could literally rock your world. Yeah. And it did. So for me, writing was therapeutic. I've always been a pretty good writer and I always have had a love for writing, even as a little kid. So for me, writing, uh, was part of my healing process. I will say that when I initially published my book, I thought I was healed, but I was not healed. Um, It took time and it took me really learning how to forgive and how to love again and how to and to understand this new identity now that existed. So there were things that I did before that I thought came from my biological father. And so, for example, preaching and teaching, uh, these are, you know, none of my my father who raised me, uh, none of his folks were preachers uh, and none are teachers. Uh, But then when I learned about my biological father, who is a teacher, and then his siblings, some of his siblings are teachers, and my biological father is a pastor, and uh, his brother's a pastor, and his uh, father's a pastor, and then his grandfather's a pastor. (laughs) So His grandfather's grandfather's grandfather. (laughs) So you start looking at all this, and then, then, then going back to even my, now my biological grandfather, here's what's so interesting. So my dad... My dad taught me uh, definitely to look out for other people and to help other people and and to uh, do good. But then when I look at my grandfather, he has this huge legacy of founding uh, five churches or more uh, in the uh, Arkansas, Louisiana area, what have you. And then his grandfather uh, founding a, a church in Mississippi. And I look at my grand, my biological grandfather specifically, known throughout that region of his hometown of Eudora, Arkansas, known throughout that region for helping people, for being a go-to person. And then I look at my life and how people will call me out the blue for, man, everything from a washing machine <laughs> to uh, uh, government contracts, you know. And but I understood. I, I learned my gifting. In my uh, mid-30s, I learned my gifting, that one of my giftings is uh, connecting people and being able to uh, meet folks, absorb information, retain that information, and then recall it when it's necessary to connect two people or connect a person with a source, a resource to help them with whatever their need is. And so in that way, I am so much, I'm like my dad, but I'm also so much like my grandfather. And then when you go to the, uh, when you think about preaching and teaching, you know, I'm a former teacher uh, and I'm a preacher, former assistant pastor uh, as well. So when I think about those things, those, those things are just in my bloodline. 
Um, so I thank God now for the existence of both my Lyman family and my Handy family because it, that makes me all of who I am. But initially it was a wrestling because, you know, when you find something else, something out like this, for me, it made me think, well, man, if I'm not a lineman, should I change my last name? Should I change the name of my children? Man, you know, my father, uh, you know, he's the second. So should I have been the third? Should I change my first name? So you have all these thoughts that go through your head where you begin to question your identity and, you know, who you really are. And you begin to think of different situations uh, that you've been in with the family that you've known. And you start to understand instances where you felt like you were a little bit different and you begin to understand it. But it doesn't mean just because you, uh, I shouldn't say you understand it, you begin to recognize, but it doesn't mean that you fully understand it. So within myself, there was that war going on. And I believe now I'm past that. But again, I had to learn forgiveness. And a lot of it had to do with forgiving my biological father, uh, who I said just moments ago that, that I knew I didn't know him as my biological father. But there's a part of me that strongly believes that he knew that I was his biological son. Because if you look at the two of us, and especially when... When I was, you know, around him more, I don't want to give away everything. Mm-hmm. But if, but if you but if you look at pictures of us, there's no way uh, he could have uh, denied that I was his child, or could not have thought that I was his child, and, and based especially based upon his previous relationship with my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I so I had to learn to forgive him and to come to grips with that, that come to grips that he would probably never admit that he had an inclination that I was his son. Um, And when I did that, that's when I really got my healing. And I know, having known your mother, I've met your mother, I know you have a great relationship with her, Mm -hmm. so that's another relationship that that had to be healed. Because unfortunately, your dad is not here physically but you and your mom. And I know now at least you have gotten to a point where you do have a great relationship. Talk a little bit about you and your mom and the relationship that you've had and any struggles or challenges that you might have had as a result of finding out about this. You know, it was a bit of a struggle uh, when I found out. Um, And for my mom, I thought she had lied to me. Um, And, you know, so she, like everybody else that, 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 you know, I grew up with, uh, uh, regularly thought I looked like my dad, Louis Lyman. Mm-hmm. And so for her, she's like, no, no, no. She could, she could see. I mean, my mom was really willing to bet her life. When I told her I got a DNA test coming, she's willing to bet, she bet her life that no, Louis is your dad. I mean, she was, she was very adamant and, and I believe her, um, and so we, but we did, I did go through that anger period where I was mad at her, but it was easier to overcome because my mom immediately apologized mm-hmm. and my mom did not look at herself and how she felt. And, uh, and I'm sure she was embarrassed, ashamed. I mean, she, she was all those things. I mean, she admitted to me that she was all of those things, uh, disappointed with herself, um, uh, all of those things bothered her, but she was very transparent with me and she did never place the focus on her feelings. 
Mm-hmm. It was all, always on, man, my son is hurt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I helped hurt him. Let me figure out how to help him recover. Forget whatever I'm experiencing. But mm-hmm. this is a mother mm-hmm. and her love for her child going out and saying, how can I help my baby? Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted from my dad, my biological father. That's mm-hmm. what I wanted and needed from him. But he would never give And he still won't give that to me to this day. Mm-hmm. And so in my heart, I've had to learn to forgive that. Otherwise, it would consume me. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, it did consume me for mm-hmm. a period. Mm-hmm. But with my mom, um, you know, I didn't. Me and my mom, we were not the best of friends when I was a kid. I did not like my mom really? for many reasons. <laughs> many re- reasons. You know, she was from the South, from Mississippi, so she could swing a switch. Uh, man, better than Bo Jackson could sw- swing a, a, a baseball bat and wow. uh, probably harder, too. Uh, you know, so my mom, you know, it was just different. Uh, we had a different relationship. Um, and like I said, me and my dad, we were just, we were really close. That was my best friend. Mm-hmm. Over over time, though, after my dad died, my mom and I got closer. And then after this incident where I learned of my uh, biological father, we ended up getting much, much closer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said I've had, uh, my, my best business partner I've ever had in life is, is my mother mm-hmm. uh, working together in the restaurant. Um, you know, uh, complete, uh, complete trust. Um, I knew where she was coming from. She never had to worry about me. I never had to worry about her. And we, you know, we, we did our best to run a good business and take care of people. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, we, to this day, we have a great relationship. Well, I don't want to give away the juiciest parts of the book, but if you haven't purchased Solving for X, Finding the Man Within, you really need to get on Amazon.com and get a copy of it because Marvin has, sh- has shared some of the details about the story, but the deepest parts, the most unusual, the most amazing, phenomenal parts that, like I said, I don't believe anybody else could say they have this experience, you have to read about in the book. But one thing I also want to ask you about, you talked about some of the similarities that you have recognized came from your biological family, the passion for teaching and preaching, but also talk about the similarities that you have discovered between um, you and your dad in terms of how you look, your physical characteristics, (laughs) and what some of the family members that you have managed to meet, what their reactions have been when they actually met you. Oh my gosh. Uh, I remember when I met my uncle Clarence and, uh, and, uh, you know, shook his hand and he, he knew exactly who I was. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you June, you know, that's what they call, uh, my biological father. And then I remember, uh, was down with my sis- sister and, uh, or, or maybe not down with my sister, was down with my girls and, um, uh, I uh, was with my biological father, and uh, we had gone to visit and, and hung out with him, and we went over to a restaurant, and my Uncle James was coming over to the restaurant. So I told my biological father, hold up, let me go over. And so I went over, and I tried to uh, uh, just uh, act like I was someone else. And he said, man, you Marvin. He said, I know who you is. <laughs> he said, you June's son. <laughs> uh you know, if you if you go down to the south, you know a little something about the double double quick down there. <laughs> so I was at the double quick in your door, uh, my my biological father's hometown, and man, I walked in, and 
it man i will tell you at least five to seven people that were that were coming in they said hey you general son i said yes sir they said oh, okay they introduced themselves oh where, where, where you grow up <laughs> you know, automatically knew and then one of my favorites though uh is when we went to, when we went to grandma molly's house and we went to Grandma Molly's house, and uh, we're standing there, and it, it's late. We're actually on our way out of uh, your door, on our way back to Kansas City. And so we stopped by, I had to stop by, and, and to see my uh, grandfather's uh, 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 widow. And so uh, stopped by to see her, uh, and she sees me, and she looks, and my sister asks, uh, you know who that is? And she said, uh, I don't want to say. <laughs> but she grabs my face and, you know, with both hands and kisses me and, and you know, automatically knew that I was June's son and, I mean, just welcomed me right in. Uh, man, the same thing with, you know, even my, even my, uh, uh, biological father's, uh, ex-wife, I call her Mama Mary. Uh, same thing. As soon as she saw me, just welcomed me, hugged me. And I mean, to this day, we have a very special relationship. Uh, you would think that we would not have the relationship that we have and that she and my mom right. would not have the relationship based on uh, life experiences. But, you know, by the grace of God and the love that God has put in their hearts, uh, you know, I'm just grateful. Yeah, so much more I could tell. But if people pick up the book, um, I believe it's a tool uh, where one can learn from uh, not only my experience with finding out who my biological father is and how to deal with that transition, uh, but also just the struggles of life and dealing with marriage and business and just different things that come up as as you're uh, trying to make this journey. And so I pray that folks will go out, buy the book, read it. And uh, use it as a tool to help them solve for whatever the X, the unknown is in their life. Right, because all of us, I'm glad you mentioned that, all of us have an X in our life. And it's going to be different from all of us, but it, it takes courage. So I applaud you, one, for the courage that it took to, one, to even try to figure out this. Because you could have just, you know, swept it under a rug, not even tried to pursue it but you've been very vulnerable about it, transparent, and then sharing this whole story in a book. I think it's really going to be therapeutic and it's going to help other people because I know there's a lot of black men specifically who may, just like you, have a feeling that I'm, I don't think I really belong in this family. Am I really a part of this family? Mm-hmm. But again, it takes courage to step up to take the steps to really find out who you really are. So I applaud you for that. And then the last thing I want to talk about, the young lady that you mentioned that worked in the mayor's office, Mayor Sly James, she also had a part in your book also, right? Oh, she had a cool, yeah, she had a very big part. Um, yeah, she she actually wrote the foreword to my book. And uh, yeah, so we have a running joke that uh, I write books and she writes forwards. So <laughs> if anybody out there needs a forward, she's excellent at writing forwards. So... No, but she's, uh, yeah, she does have a part in uh, 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 writing the foreword for the book, but then also just uh, in terms of being a um, great person in my life uh, that gave me a place of rest 
uh, when I was literally out on an island and there was no one that I felt understood me or would even take the time to hear and listen to what was going on in my head and my heart. And so for her, I'm eternally grateful. So again, I want to thank you so much, Marvin, for taking time out of your schedule to share this important and personal story right here on Gumbo Nights with Miss Handy. I believe it really is going to help a lot of people. And the big thing about the story, y'all, make sure you buy the book because Marvin has not revealed. He's talked a little bit about his biological father, but you want to read the book to find out what role he really played in his life. That is the big thing. The unusual, amazing, strange thing. And I'm telling you, you ain't never heard nothing like this. This needs to be a movie, y'all. Seriously. Make sure you buy the book. And the last thing that I want to share, Marvin talked about the young lady that he met working in Mayor Sly James' office. She wrote the foreword for the book. Last thing I'm going to say about the book is Marvin is an author former restaurateur, community activist, but he is also my brother. Thank you again for listening, liking, commenting, sharing, and subscribing. Make sure you join me right here for the next episode.